In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to Faith Talk Radio, and today we're here on The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and we're blessed to have John Thomas. Well, who's John Thomas, you may be asking? Well, he's my new friend and someone who uh, has been inspiring me. He's currently in South Africa, in Cape Town, and he's uh, headed up an organization named Living Hope, as we heard last week. Uh, John's church started out in uh, small in numbers, but powerful in effect. And so, John, straight straight to you, remind us, uh, there were how many, was it 15 people in your church, something like that at the beginning? Yes, correct. In the beginning of 1987, when I came to this area, it was a very small group of people. And uh, at the very first service where I was at, there were 27 but the, about 10 of them were visitors and friends of mine, so somewhere around 15. And uh, we grew very rapidly as a church and then did something back in the dark days of apartheid, which was very unusual. We reached out into a area where there were black folk living in shanty towns. Now, at that stage, it was illegal for white people to go into the shanty towns. Illegal. Uh, And so you had to have a police permit to go into that. But we went in there and we planted a church and uh, we actually put up a sort of a a small um, type of church building in that area, which, and we started church planting there and people came to know Christ as savior. Um, and some amazing things. And out of that grew a township called Masipumelele, which means actually we have arrived. Hmm. And at that particular point, there were probably about 600 people in this small area. And out of that, putting in our very first church plant into Masipumelele, uh, came our HIV and AIDS ministry because uh, I got called by the local public hospital to say, this is in November 99. We have a problem in Masipumelele. Uh, 44% of the people in that area are HIV positive. God used that to kick me and say, hey, you're a pastor. Do something about it. Right. And so with a little bit of faith and a great big God, we launched out and planted what today is living hope. And so um, there's now – so originally there were there – were, was it about 200 uh, – um, I don't know the correct terminology, but but black South Africans uh, living in that shanty area that that your church reached out to, and and um, and that's quite impressive. You know, there's there's 15 people reaching out to 200. That's you know real uh, fish and loaves uh, happening there, particularly with healthcare and and dealing with AIDS. Um, so uh, now your church is uh, around 350 people. Is this correct? Yeah, you know, COVID's obviously affected a whole lot of things, sure. and um, we have a, 
a prescribed minimum of 100 uh, in COVID, but there are a lot of online listeners. So, yes, 350, 4.50, sort of regular worshippers on a Sunday. Um, so, uh, and, and, and how, how many people? pastors. Yeah. But the missions department, called Living Hope, has 230 pastors to reach. Let's call it the goats. So four to look after the sheep, 230 to reach the goats, which I think is actually the balance of how church is meant to be. We're so focused often on caring for the sheep, and we're just looking after each other, having great parties on Sunday and doing lovely lots of nice fellowshipy things and caring for each other. And that's great. I've got absolutely no issue with that. But we get lost in the whole mission cause. Hmm. Uh, We're not here to just celebrate Sundays. We're here to impact the world for Jesus. Well, amen. And so, uh, you know, so so you're not just keeping that to a Sunday. Then you're you're looking to impact the world, impact your community, be the hands and feet of Jesus, as it were, every day. And so, uh, how many? Uh, I'm looking on your website here now. Is, is this correct, or is this a typo? You're reaching out to about twenty eight thousand people. Is this correct? No, we reach out, that's in one of the programs, we reach out to over 100,000 people each year. Goodness. um, Whose names and addresses we have, uh, who we've in some way physically touched. So we know them, we can take you you to their home. uh, So we intimately or or at least have had some involvement in their lives. And so through our 230 staff, we are able to touch over 100,000 lives per annum. And last year during COVID, when we get all our numbers out, uh, it's a lot higher. I, I was impressed with the 15 people reaching out to the 200. But uh, so, you know, there's, there's the simple question is, how on earth, how on earth are you doing this? What, what, what's the power behind you? The God of miracles um, <laughs> is the power behind us. You know, you get so proud of God because he comes through so often in such amazing ways. And um, we have seen it time and time again. I could tell you lots of financial miracle stories. I could tell you lots of uh, stories of changed lives. And God has given us favor. Now, when I say the word favor, I'm not one of these guys who believes in a whole lot of prosperity that God's there to make us rich. But as we have walked the path of obedience, trusting God, God has just grown and grown and grown this ministry to the point that we we find ourselves saying, we definitely didn't do this. Mm. Only God could have done this. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's what it is. (laughs) And that's what we live. We live sort of in miracle land and you know all sure we have lots of challenges Mm. but we see god at work and that makes it so worthwhile to serve the lord i was i was going to say you know uh because i mean this is sort of george muller uh you know trasher sort of stuff you know where they they pray they have nothing their hands are open they have nothing they pray and then lo and behold it arrives you know and so Sort of the skeptical mind, uh, you know, as mine when I first read the books was like, oh, come on. You know, well, you were lucky that one time, you know, but when it happened again and again and again. 
And as you say, it's not it's not so that they could build a you know a jacuzzi into in their <laughs> or you know buy a flash sports car. Nothing wrong with those, but it was just so that they could provide for the ministry that they were doing, which was to provide for the people around them and share God's love with them. And so, um, you know, give do give us some stories. Give yeah, us let some, me give you a quick yeah. story on that. Yeah. Um, in, two, in the year two thousand, just after we had established Living Hope, this outreach missions arm of the church. Um, I came back from vacation and picked up the newspaper and saw that two days later, a site with an abandoned house and some other buildings was coming up on auction. Hmm. And it was perfectly situated for what would become Living Hope. And um, so the next day I called four of our church leaders together in my office. We met them on the Tuesday morning and I said to them, this is perfect place. Mm. And we really, we really need this place. Now, at this particular point, we had one part-time Bible college student doing some work for us. We had no money mm. uh, as such. And um, they said, John, well, what do you think it's worth? And the appraisal that I picked up on was $1.4 million, um, in our currency, but it would probably be similar in dollar terms in those days. And so I said, you know, why don't I go up to half, 700, great biblical number, 700,000. Um, so they said, yeah, John, if that's what you feel you should do, off you go. I went along, the auction started. Um, I, I got uh, the 400,000 bid. This other guy started at 300, 400, 500. I got 600, 650. Then he got 700. Yeah. And I thought, well, I'm out of this now. Um and I just said, thought, you know what? I'm going to say 701,000. Hmm. And I was sure he was going to go to 750 or 800 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And he dropped out of the auction and the auctioneer kept going, 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 gone. And so it was yours. I got this property at 701,000 at half the value. <laughs> so I go to sign the papers yeah. and he says to me, 105,000 down now. Oh. And I said, sir, I haven't got it. He said, didn't you hear me read out the terms? So I said, yeah, I did 10% down and 5% commission, but I didn't really take too much notice because I wasn't sure I was going to get it. <laughs> so there was a property developer at that auction who was looking to buy the property, but he knew what I wanted to do with this property and establish living hope there. Yeah. Not a Christian man. And he came across to me as I walked away. So I said to the auctioneer, sir, give me seven days. And I promise you, God will supply the need. You will have your 105,000. I, I undertake that mm. because God is able. And this guy looks at me, well, who's God sort of story? Sure, sure. I walk away. I say to this guy, Phew. he says, John, well done, this property developer. So I said, but yeah, I just discovered I meant to put down 105,000. Yeah. He looks at me and he says, John. My wife and I have done very well lately, and we were talking about giving something. He said, who do you want that check made out to? I said, wait, wait, come with me. I went to the auctioneer. He was still standing in the same place where I left him. I said, who do you want the check made out to? He said, but I thought you told me you had no money. I said, sir, five minutes ago, I had no money, but I told you God would provide within a week. He said, I said, God only took five minutes, <laughs> and we wrote the check. Now, wow. that's how this thing got started. I mean, just the miraculous. Yeah. 
And, you know, you, you, when God has his fingerprints all over something, mm. it, it's not about skillful mag- management and strategic planning. It's about listening to the voice of God. And I'm not against any form of good strategic planning. Mm. Do not un- understand. Yeah. But you know, if God is in a thing, you've got to stay close to him and let him open the doors. And you say, yes, sir, I will walk through those doors with a little bit of faith in a great big God. <laughs> uh, and I guess along the lines of George Muller, uh, you know, attempt great things for God and trust God for great things uh, and expect great things from him. And when you live that life of faith, it is so encouraging at times mm. to see mm-hmm. exceptional miracles come through. Because, uh, you know, uh, was this uh, perhaps not to that same amount, but, you know, was this the, was this the one and only time that God responded to your need? Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, about six months later, a... Um, local policeman or law enforcement officer walked into my office at the church and he said, John, uh, there is a property in this next area called Ocean View where we had wanted to work, which uh, the bank tried to sell on an auction, but it couldn't be sold because it was a drug den Ah. and little girls were being abused there. Ah. And when the community discovered this abuse of these little girls, um, they took revenge on this drug dealer. And in the ensuing battle, um, a community member sadly got killed in the road outside. And then the police came and arrested the drug dealer. And as far as I know, he's still in jail um, because he had killed this man. And then the community wrecked the house. They stripped it completely. Mm. They took every window out, every copper pipe, every bath, every shower, every, everything. They took the floors, they took the roof, and it was just left as a shell of a property, mm. and the gangs moved it. But when they tried to auction it, they couldn't get anyone to buy it because nobody wanted right. to buy the house. Of- mm. So I went to go and see the bank that had the mortgage on it. And he said to me, you can take this property off us for 16000 because that's what's left in the mortgage. I said to him, sir, I do not have 16000 And I really didn't. Right. Julian, I, we didn't have any money for this at this particular point. He said, how much have you got? You? How much have you got? So I said, i got got 100 in my pocket. I call it $100. And I took it out and I put it on the table in front of him. And he looked at me and he looked at me and he said, deal done. And I bought the property for 100 <laughs> So what, what, what's happening what events are now happening in this property? What's it being used for? It is being used for home-based care. Mm. It is being used for HIV support groups. It is being used to support young people in life skills training, children's clubs. And more recently, from that office, let me tell you the story. Around that office, that house, which we then fixed up to become an office, Um, there are quite a high percentage of young boys who are experimenting, using, or abusing drugs. Mm. When I say young boys, I'm talking about eight to ten-year-olds. Eight? Eight Eight-year-old boys using crystal meth. Eight-year-old boys using marijuana. 
and one or two experimenting with heroin. So we have begun what we call an early intervention program for children with drug abuse. And we have got these boys, which they have graduated from their program, and on the 4th of May, we begin another set of boys uh, who are going to go through this program. From that very point, where all this gangsterism and abuse and abuse of children, there are now children being healed and restored and set free in Jesus' name. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how, you know, God uses something, uh, a place which was flat out demonic, you know, with uh, abusing children, you know, and uh, all, all sorts of horrific things and memories having taken place there. God uses it, guts it, and then restores it into something so that it can be used powerfully for good. So erasing, washing out the dirt, the junk, the evil that was there and replacing it with something beautiful and constructive and edifying and, and, and beneficial to the community. You know, a bit, a bit, like, a bit right. like us, really. <laughs> you know? I was just going to say, and God can do that with your life as you're listening and driving along in the car. Uh, God can take the junk and rubbish out of your life and clean it up. It may be a painful process, but bring new life and new hope out of a mess you might have made of your life. And then, and then use you as well. You know, you definitely, you know, and we're talking as well about John and Julian here. It's not like the word <clears throat> St. John and St. Julian, you know, um, uh, but you can ask our wives, you know, but uh, no, it is. It's true. You know how God can use and does use the, the Bible's full of it situations where uh, people were transformed and used powerfully uh, in order to bring healing. And uh, so, John, well, before you're listening to uh, Faith Talk Radio, this is Julian Gibb with the kingdom and its stories. And uh, we have John, uh, my new friend and uh, inspiring gentleman here, inspiring because God has used him powerfully. John was just saying how uh, a drug house and a house that was used um, uh, by the demonic to abuse children uh, was stripped and sold and is now used in order to bring life, to, to, to restore hope, to restore children. Uh, so, so just using the power of God being used powerfully within the community, transforming something bad into transforming something that's wonderful, and how in, indeed that could be a, a story of our lives. So, John, how has your God's mission through you transformed you? That's an interesting question. It's taught me, I guess, the life of faith, um, to trust God, because we literally began with nothing, and we literally did not have some big funder or foundation or trust fund behind us saying, yeah, you go do this and we'll fund you. Um, and we have had to learn to trust God for every cent that we need. Mm. And God has come through over and over and over again. And um, so that has helped me to have a great confidence in God's ability to supply. And I guess I also get a sense and a scripture from the Lord to take the next step of faith. 
Um, I personally don't believe you only move on feelings uh, because feelings are can be dictated by our hormones, which can be up and down. And so I like a solid word from God and I like a scripture to say, yes, God said, move on, do this. God said, do that. And so, but once I have this sense that God is in this and he has given me scripture, I will launch out in faith and say, okay, God, now let's see how you're going to come through on this thing. And we have seen God's provision. um, And I guess that's been one of the changes to become aware of the miraculous. But then we have had stories of radically changed lives, not just averagely changed lives. To go back to these little boys um, who've been going through our early intervention drug abuse program, um, I was talking, we had a meeting with parents or with people who are looking after these boys, and a gentleman came along and said, that guy over there is my nephew. So I said, oh, um, where's his mom and dad? And she He said, well, his mother works on the streets, in other words, as a a prostitute, and his father is in jail. So I'm his uncle, and I have taken charge of him to try and care for him. And then he said this, my nephew has changed completely on your program. And he's working hard at school, and he's loving it. And he comes back, and he tells me about what he's learned and how his life has changed. And, you know, then you hear that a boy's life has changed. He's been set free from uh, his early experimentations and abuse of drugs. And even though he doesn't have his biological parents around and he has a carer, but he has Jesus. And uh, isn't that wonderful? And so, you know, those stories keep you going because you say, Lord, if you're doing this, um, as I say, we, we've finished with that one program. We're about to start a new set of yeah. uh, young fellows who will come into the program. And oh, um, I'm looking forward to We can only realistically take about 10 in that uh, at a time because we found that these boys need a lot of individual attention and have been deprived in many ways. And so that, and yeah, so, that, that that's real transformation as well, isn't it? It's not like sort of a tinkering around the edges, you know, polishing up here, a, a, a hiding of that. You know, it's a real inward transformation. And, uh, you know, John, it seems that God has provided uh, for the mission. He's given you a goal, a vision, a direction, a mission. He's provided you financially. But, but you know, so all these things are going for you. But has it been a walk in the park? Not at all. Um, it's been a great walk when, when God undertakes. But we obviously have faced challenges along the way and obviously needed God's wisdom in certain things. But um, serving the Lord is rewarding even when it's not a walk in the park and you've got to figure out now where do we go from here? How do we tackle this next issue? Mm. But by and large, we have not had any major traumas. Let me give you another story that relates um, to you all as Americans. Uh, President George Bush developed a program called the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, PEPFAR. And we were the first ever church to be funded through the PEPFAR program. And that actually landed me up in the Oval Office with President Bush. Ah. And um, 
Then President Obama came to power. And within three weeks, he had cut or given us notice that he was cutting the funding. And all of our children's work around abstinence was dependent on this. We went to donors and we said, we are wanting people to give us a dollar a day. Will you be a DAD, a dollar a day? Will you be a dad in Africa and help us? And do you know that million dollars a year, which the government was given, was made up by people from around the U.S. Now, you see, that's the God we serve. That's the God you can trust. That's the God who can make a difference. Even when it's tough, he comes through. So remember that, guys, when you're listening. Now, uh, we unfortunately have run out of time, but I want to. What's your website for people? It's www.livinghope.co.za. A bit of, uh, uh, you know, advertising there. But it's well worth going there to find out all the things that happen. But you have been listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and today we are blessed to have John Thomas sharing about how we are called to go out and love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.